Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am joined today by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Very good, thank you. Excellent. Right, so it's just you and me today. So we can talk a lot about companies. Shame Algie's not here because the cover feature is also about companies. It's quite good. I think Algie did a really good feature this week. Yeah, it's, it's about spotting red flags. It's, it's really work, a drawing on the work of uh, a, a number of um, guys who are involved in either the short selling industry or forensic accounting, one of whom you know, I think. Tim Steer. Not Tim, you know Tim Steer as well, who's the fund manager whose book we refer to, which is called uh, The Signs, the were, signs there. were There. Yeah, which is a very good book, actually. And Steve Clapham. <laughs> Yeah, I think you know, don't you? Uh, from a long time ago, uh. Steve Steve Clapham and I used to be transport analysts in the early two thousands. That was a place to learn how to uh, spot the danger signs. We spoke about that quite recently. Oh, actually. It's, it's actually a very very good hunting ground for things going on, shall we say? Indeed, and and that's what the feature is about. It's about it's about looking within the accounts for those kind of red flags that can can help you avoid uh, horrible situations like Carillion, for example, or Patisserie Valerie, or whatever it might be. Uh, it's a very long feature, it's very good, uh, but Algie's not here to talk about it, so I urge you to go away and read that one yourselves. Let's get on to the, uh, to the business of companies, Phil. What have you uh, been talking about this week in your column? Well, I've been looking at the, uh, the subject of high high margin companies extremely profitable companies great things you would imagine yeah and and it's like it's the kind of thing it's very much in vogue um people looking for very high quality businesses very profitable businesses is, is, is margin of uh, you know generally a proxy for quality then yeah to an extent i mean you you've got to try and understand how a company makes its margin i mean Water companies make very high profit margins. Not exactly quality. Yeah, exactly, because they, they need they need to earn that high margin so they've got enough money to pay for all the investment. Mm. So you have to be a little bit careful by assuming that high margin is a an automatic sign of, of high quality. But for non-regulated, non-utility type businesses, um, it, it can be and quite often is. But what I've what I've decided to do is look at how a company makes its margin. Why is a company making its margin? And asking the question, can it stay that way? Mm. Because I, I think we're in a very very interesting time in, in business now that we've have the the companies like Amazon that look at companies with very very high profit margin, saying, "I'm going to have a slice of that." And if you've got the right business model, I think there are businesses out there that are actually quite vulnerable. And what I'm going to talk about is businesses that have got very high profit margins, but also sell lots of stuff, or in jargon terms, they are high volume businesses. Mm. So you sell a lot of stuff at very high profit margins and you make a lot of money. And that gives the potential opportunity for someone to say, I'll accept a little bit or a lot less profit margin, but still sell a lot and still do okay. It's interesting that you start with that observation because actually this is a good opportunity to introduce the second feature, which is uh, the latest instalment of the IC Book Club written by Tom Dines. He's looked at Intel yeah. uh, and a book uh, written by its founder, a guy called Andy, Andrew Grove, 
uh, called Only the Paranoid Survive. And actually, they had exactly that situation. They, they were a memory chip manufacturer. And they were making really good margins. And Japanese manufacturers saw that market and said, we'll have some of that yeah. and we'll take a little bit less money. Yeah. And the, the book is about how, how Intel responded to that. Uh, and actually, he, uh, Tom refers to uh, Bunzel, which is a more recent example, whose shares took a, a massive dive when there were rumours that Amazon was going to have a crack at that market. It distributes, you know, sundries, office sundries, catering sundries, something that Amazon, with its big distribution network, could easily do. So, yeah, the sensitivity to, to that threat is quite quite large. And it has happened before, as uh, as the Intel example talks about. Yeah, and it's, it, it you know, it gets you thinking. You know, you, you, you can look back at, at businesses and you can look at the history of businesses and think, oh, this looks great, you know, it's, it's had a high margin for a long period of time. It must have got something that can keep the competition from eating its lunch, and therefore it'll stay that way. Well, you, you would have thought in the case of memory chip manufacture, quite specialist. Yeah. Uh, how can anyone easily get into this? Well, they can. Yeah. And, and this is it. Businesses are dynamic, and the, the industries they work in are dynamic. They change a lot, or can change a lot, and uh, which is why... You know, if you if you blindly sort of buy into a high margin business and think that you can forget about it, I, I don't think you can. You've the, got to keep your eye on these things. There's a really good example that's uh, that you mentioned in the feature in your your, your column, yeah, um, and which has also been in the news this week, which today. is today, today, which is dignity. Yeah. Now, now dignity is, is a great example. I mean, it has a regular flow of business. Yeah. You know, sadly, very predictable, regular flow of business. Arguably, you could classify this as a pretty high volume business. Yeah, there's a, there is a certain amount of sadly. death rate in the UK every year. Yeah, yeah. and um, it has charged very, very high prices, and and that served it well for a very long time. This, I mean, this was a stock market darling. The shares, yeah. did wonderfully well for a very, yeah, very you, long time. You, you, if you looked at the characteristics of this business, maybe even two years ago. Um, superficially, you look at it and say, "Look, yeah, I understand this business. It's regular. It's it's predictable. It's high profit margin, good cash flow, good returns. I'll stick that away and forget about it." And it was also, I guess, you know, funerals are not something that you would expect people to be price sensitive about necessarily. You don't want to be well, scrimping. You don't but want to be scrimping. You've you don't got, want to be, or seen to be scrimping you've got at that pe- point. And also, you've got people in a frame of mind where they have got more important things to think about than getting value for money out of the funeral director. So, what what could go wrong? Someone comes along and says, "We'll do it for less," and that is exactly what has happened. Eighteen months ago, Dignity was making, you know, well over thirty percent profit margin. And I remember doing a bit of work on this a few years ago, and you could you could get this number if you were diligent enough. You could look in the accounts and just work out the revenue per funeral, and it was going up five six percent per year every year. And this is what um, was keeping the profits high. And then someone's come along and said, "Okay." Let's look at let's look at the basics of funerals. 
we can actually, it's not like a crematorium where you actually need the land and the assets. Doesn't Dignity own a lot of crematorium? It does, yeah. And, and that was a big part of its strategy is from, from when I was looking at it a while back, yeah. like consolidating. Yeah, and they are hard to compete against. But the funeral side, there's a lot less upfront investment needed. It's not regulated yet. And you have the internet and you have an ability to come in and offer very simple funerals for a lot less. And this is now eating Dignity's lunch and it's having to respond by cutting its prices. And we've seen the margin come off a couple of weeks ago, I think, when they reported their figures from about 32 to 25. It's probably going to go to 20 this year. You know, even at 20% profit margin, you could say this is still too much. Mm. And I, I think there's a this this business could start going down a long way because again, let's sorry for the jargon the the, the barriers the barriers or the perceived barriers the economic moat that people like to talk about has been breached and the water is flooding in and um, I, you know this business is I think this business has got a lot of problems. Governments come out this morning or sorry not the government the Competition and Markets Authority Aquango. Yeah, and um, has come out and, you know, in a roundabout way has said, these funeral companies are ripping customers off. And it actually, it's very, very hard to disagree with that. Mm. You know, you look at, you know, the sort of four grand for a funeral. For doing what? And it's like, I know there's been a few articles in, in some of the papers, some of the weekend papers over the last few years, and some shocking stories about, you know, they come in and say, oh, do you want a few extras? And, you know, you throw some flowers in. It's like, you know, 500 quid for some flowers or 120 quid to print out some hymn sheets. And it's, and you know, I think I think these companies have got big problems now. This, this really is a utility, earning Apple-like profit margins. And I think... We're not at the last of this. I think it's gonna. This is this is gonna unravel, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, what have the shares done? I, uh, well, a lot I haven't looked at the share price, but I, I can't imagine it's responded I'm, well. No, no. I mean, this this is something. This is not. This is something that's been expected. You know, the CMA came out last year and said they were going to look into this, and they were going to come back this year and update people what they're thinking. So this is already a lot of this is priced in, in terms of. They are going to say this. They are going to say that funeral companies are charging too much and Dignity is trying to cut its prices to try and make itself look more reasonable. Uh, but I think there's a long way to go. The big problem with Dignity, of course, is that it's got a lot of debt. Um, it's been financed with, with debt. To, to, to consolidate, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, but also because I think it believed up until very recently, that it had a very stable and predictable profit stream. Like an annuity-like yeah, business. Yeah, which could, which could support a high level of debt. Let's see. This is not a company I'd want to go near. Dignity, the example of what can go yeah. wrong with a high-margin business. Let's, let's talk about something that's perhaps a little bit more sustainable. Is there, is there such a thing? I know you've identified some companies yeah, in your piece I mean, that, that, that have high margins. That look okay... For now, but I, th- I think your—I mean, your general consensus, your general view—is keep an eye out on these companies. Yeah, but I, let's let's talk about Rightmove, for example. Yeah, I mean, Rightmove—you've got—you've know, got to a situation. I mean, that 
I don't know a more profitable business on the on the stock exchange than Right Move, and there are an increasing number of grumpy customers of Right Move. But they're, they're estate agents, yeah, grumpy estate agents, grumpy estate agents who are handing over a thousand pounds a month to Right Move, which is probably more than some of them are paying on rent for their offices. We have talked about this before because previously, though, they would have been handing over a thousand pound a month to the local newspaper. Yeah, but they were always. They had a relationship with a local newspaper where they could always cut themselves a deal. Yeah, yeah. And right move, non-negotiable. Seems that way. Yeah. But you've got, you know, this is this is something that, you know, it might be right. It might be right that right move is so deeply entrenched with such big brand power that nothing can, you know, the agents think, well, really, can we can we really dump this company? On the market, this is the this is the uh, it's an aim business that was essentially created from a consortium yeah, of estate agencies. Yeah, groups. it used to be called you know Agents Mutual. So it was a bunch of agents getting together and saying, "Look, we don't like the power of Right Move. We're going to try and do this ourselves." It hasn't really worked though. Not yet. I mean, they they have been very aggressive in terms of um, signing up agents, basically for next to nothing. And seeing if they can do the same job. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like a very sustainable business model. Hey, we'll give you this for, for literally no margin. And... No, no, no. You know, right Moves making 75 pence in the pound, 75% profit margin. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot, there's a lot of space to be eaten into. Yeah, there's a lot of scope to undercut this. And it's not, it's not done so yet. But again, just mind your eye on here. You know, the capital invested in Right Move is 25 million quid. For a business that's got market cap of what billions? Mm. What is the market cap? I don't know. I can't remember. Haven't written it down, Phil. I haven't written it down. It's big. Yeah, and it is. It is a kind of business thing. Well, if it's only twenty-five million, you know, what is it? You know, it's an IT system and some some marketing people and a website. It's a dot com dream. And it's, it's a dot com dream. And it's you know, there's analytics and stuff in there. You know, I'm not saying it doesn't do things that aren't useful, but you know, on the market, on the market, I think a lot of people think that Right Move is going to win this. Uh, I don't. I don't think anybody thinks at the moment that Right Move is going to lose this battle. But Google, I mean, Google tried to have a crack at Facebook, this market. Facebook as well. Facebook have actually moved into are sort of moving into um, the sort of lettings advertising. Mm. Um. But then Craigslist is in lettings advertising. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it, I it may it may be that. Well, that's a business also that's becoming less profitable for uh, estate agency groups anyway, given changes to to to, to the uh, the fees they're allowed to charge. Yeah, yeah, but it still it still keeps them afloat. Yeah, yeah. But I I think you know let's you know two or three years ago you and I could have been sitting here talking about dignity, and saying that dignity was bulletproof. And this is the kind of theme that I'm trying to get across in the article, is that you look at these businesses, they are lauded by many investors as being fantastic, highly profitable, high-quality, robust, defensive businesses. But just what I'm saying is just have a think about this because they're earning they're they're earning a lot of money and a lot of them are earning money because they're charging their customers a lot of money for the service. Should we talk about should we talk about Hargreaves Lansdowne? 
So I mean, this is a this is yeah. a very a very good stock. Yeah, I mean, it's a very good company. It's done amazing things for the private investor community. A lot of a lot of our listeners, a lot of our readership will will use Hargreaves Lansdowne as as a, as as their their broker, their platform. Yeah. Um, what could go wrong? Two things I think could go wrong with this um, is that they are making a huge amount of money from the platform fees, which for, for those of you who don't know what platform fee is, it is the fee levied by the platform provider, Hargreaves Lansdowne, for you to keep your investment with them. And they are charging 0.45% for the first £250,000 on money that's been put in funds. Used to be known as unit trusts. If you put your money in shares, investment trusts, um, ETFs, you're paying a flat fee and you might pay 200 quid tops a year. If you've got a million pounds in shares, ETFs and investment trusts, you're paying 200 quid. If you're paying, if you're in open-ended funds, you're paying three or four grand. And what does Hargreaves Lansdowne push to its customers week in, week out? Funds. And the government again, the competition. They're, they're looking at this market. Well, there's been a, there's been some uh, some rulings recently around uh, on switching on switching fees. Tran- transfer transfer fees. Yeah, exit yeah. Fees. I, I, you know, which I think we've covered in the magazine actually in the uh, PFC. Yeah, I am really, really against platform fees on on open ended funds. I struggle to see how they are justified at all in terms of what. The company does what? Co- what extra cost does the company, the platform, and this is not just Hargreaves Lanza, this is others. What extra cost does the platform incur on top of looking after shares, un- shares investment trusts and ETFs that justify this big pricing differential? You know, it's a, actually a, it's a classic example of price discrimination. That if you want to buy an ETF. Your fees next to nothing, but if I want to put a, put some money in a managed fund, I and I'm putting a lot of money in. I'm actually potentially handing over a significant chunk of money every year to the platform provider for what? You know, we had this retail distribution review a few years ago, which outlawed Trail Commission, and it seems to me that Trail Commission, which again was a, a lot of platform providers pocketing money for advice, which they've never given, so it's free money, has been replaced by um, by platform fees. And I think it's it's not good value for money. It's not acting in the customer's interest. So, so Hargreaves has a pretty significant market share yep. of, of the retail investment markets. Yep. Other companies are becoming more aggressive and, and in trying are, to enter this space. Yeah, You've got AJ Bell, who floated recently, yeah, yeah. but there are some other uh, smaller brokers like Interactive Investment. Yeah, who are flat fee. You know, interactive investor are flat fee. With they have a trading trading fee on there as well, so they are. It's a disruptive approach, then. It is a disruptive approach, and Hargreaves is is actually protecting itself because it is extremely good at looking after its customers. Its customers do like. I Uh, mean, customer service. uh, You know, in in terms of the customer service surveys, always comes out on top. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, you know, they will quite quite rightly argue back saying, look, got to pay for this. My view, 
and whether it becomes somebody else's view more powerful than me is that that's fine you know you've got to pay for that but is it right for you to discriminate on charging between different investment instruments that's that's what I struggle with. Do you, and you think this possibly becomes a regulatory issue at yeah, some point in the future? I do, I do. I mean, switching fees are unfair. Transfer fees are unfair. You know, the cost incurred. You know, clearly someone's looked at that and saying, "Look, you know, these fees don't seem right." But the real elephant in the room here is platform fees on managed funds. I think you know the. Hargreaves is, is one of the highest, 0.45. AJ Bell, a 0.25. If you are, you know, I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast who have built up significant funds over the years in their SIPs and their ICEs. And they are handing over a lot of money to the plat- to, to a platform, not just Hargreaves, Lansdowne, but other platforms who are charging this percentage of value. Mm. Um, and they might be happy with that because they think that the funds that they've invested have done quite well and it might not be a problem for them. My my view is is that I don't think the platform providers have ever come out and justified to their customer base why if you buy one investment, it's a nominal fee, but if you buy a managed fund, they can make a lot of money out of it. And I, 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 th- I think they are. I'm going to say it, I think they're a rip off. It's pretty uh, strong, Phil. Yeah, I think that I think they're a rip off. Um, I think they treat by treating different investments differently, different charges. I, I don't think that's right. I'd love to hear more on this. I mean, I'm, I'm sure uh, maybe someone from the platform platforms will respond to this podcast. I'd like to hear. Look, I'd I'm like sure, to hear a justification. I'm sure. I'm sure they will be will not like me uttering the words that I have uttered. I stand by it because I, I want them to come out and I want them to say why why is it as why are their customers paying this paying this fee? Because because I can't see any justification for it. Alright. Well let's see what we, we hear then. Um let's talk about one more company that's generating extremely high margins. Which, whose products I'm pretty sure 90% of us now use. Um, had had a big event this week. Uh, you weren't very convinced by this Apple. Yeah, I mean, Apple, just, just linking it back to the... Uh, is a classic high-margin, high-volume business. And it makes a lot of money because of it. And it's run into a bit of a problem that a lot of people will be aware of, that it has, over the years, become incredibly reliant for around two thirds of its sales, possibly more of its profits, on uh, on iPhones, and it's woken up to this. We can see that people are changing their iPhones less frequently, uh, which is not good uh, if you make profits by selling devices. And so Apple needs to do something different. And that's what this big launch was was all about: the the, the things it can do beyond the iPhone. Yeah, so it's all about selling services to its uh, to its consumers. And it's it's made a reasonably good start. It's had the iTunes store for many years. Um have Apple Music which has gone down gone down really I well. iTunes might have even preceded the iPhone. I think uh was that not an adjunct to the iPod which I yes. think came first? Yes. Yeah, I mean Apple Music's been great. I mean they've got 
I think over 50 million subscribers now. Which is kind of like a sort of Spotify streaming. Exactly the same as Spotify. And that's that's doing well. And Apple's getting, you know, annual run rate of about 40 40 billion of sales off off services. It's got a a lot of loyal customers who will not have an Android phone if you paid them. And so they're they're quite sticky. They might not change their iPhones as as frequently, but they're going to stick with the ecosystem of, of of Apple. I used to say I wouldn't have an Apple phone if you paid me, but now I wouldn't have an iPhone, uh, an Android phone if you yeah, paid yeah. me. <laughs> I they have are, to say I, they're a good product. I like I like Apple products. I think they do. I over do we overpay for them? Yes. Yeah, of course. But they work nice. They're simple. They don't get viruses. Um, the ecosystem works really well. So what we've had this week is a series of series of new services. And I think the most interesting one, there's two interesting ones, actually. There's the TV streaming, which I'll talk about in a second. And then there's the, the card, Apple, the Apple credit card. Because the world needs more credit cards. And it looks, looks a really great deal, actually, offering 2% cash back. It's done in a, done in a, a partnership with Goldman Sachs. I right. Two percent cash back for all purchases. Three percent put cash back on Apple purchases, and this is a great way of boosting the use of Apple Pay, but also keeping people within the Apple ecosystem. I think this is a great move. I'm not sure how much money they're going to make out of it, because I think I imagine it will be Goldman Sachs that will be lending the money, and Apple might get a little bit of a fee and then give it back in terms of cash back or, like, or more. Sounds like a branding deal. I don't, I'm struggling to see how you know they're not like a mass. It's not like a Mastercard, which is all essentially a processing system. It's just it's like an agency. You know, it's like a John Lewis credit card. Mm. You know that they'll get a bit of money from a transaction fee. Um, but if you are giving two percent cash back, I don't think you're going to have much money left. But then again, given given the cash on Apple's balance sheet, you could almost think it looks like a bank anyway. Maybe uh, it's a way of promoting the Apple Pay system more it than is, anything else. It is. It is. It's. It's. I think. Because, it's, I mean, actually, this, uh, sorry, just to, di- to digress. The the sector focus this week is following up actually on what we talked about last week about the payments world because there's been some big deals yeah. going on there. Pay payment is it's a big thing. Yeah. So so yeah, digital payments. You can see how, how a you know cashback led credit card could be a loss leader for for growing. I that think business. it's. I think it's a loss leader. I might be wrong, but I need to look at it. But it seems to me like it's a lost leader, given the levels of cashback, mm. given that they probably aren't the lenders. Goldman Sachs will be the lenders. Um, and then the sort of transaction fee, obviously it's probably going to be done in partnership with either MasterCard or Visa. I've heard it's MasterCard. So MasterCard will get a fee. So I don't see what's re- I don't see this as a money spinner, but I see it as a way of keeping people in the ecosystem which is a good thing. Whether these people would have stayed anyway, who knows? But it's certainly it's certainly a, a good way of uh, attracting people to keep on using Apple and Apple Pay. The other one, so, I mean, there was a couple of other things. There was a, an arcade subscription, a gaming subscription. It's gaming. Yeah, which, why would anybody use Apple for game when you can use a lot better things for, for gaming, in my opinion? Yeah, it's not their, their core strength. The but, new, uh... There's a new subscription service, which is going to go for around $10 a month. It's got a lot of stuff on there, but whether that's going to fly, I'm, I'm not so sure, given how much 
revenue apple's taking off the publishers mm-hmm. but for me the big the big thing was the the tv streaming and they've been talking about t- uh, some kind of tv product for for a very very long time yeah and this was a i think this was a real disappointment um they had a lot of you know they had a lot of high profile they had steven spielberg who apparently was saying that nothing on netflix should be up for an oscar he's then on the stage at apple promoting its streaming business along with people like Jennifer Aniston and Oprah Winfrey, I think, was there. It was a big sort of loving. It always is, though, an Apple it launch, was, isn't lots it? Of, lots the, of, lots of whooping go. and worshipping and stuff, and it was a bit cringeworthy, to be honest. Yeah, but we're British. Yeah. You know, we, don't, we, don't, we don't go Maybe into that's that where we're going wrong. <laughs> Maybe that's where we, as Brits, are going wrong. I just thought, it's the, and you sort of take a step back and you look at the bare bones of this and think, it's a bit thin. And yes, they're going to be an aggregator as well in terms of channels and you can have all... But it just thought... And the thing is as well, they didn't tell us how much it was going to cost. And you, you sort of come back to this and think, you look at the likes of Netflix and Amazon Prime and you think this was all big because of this sort of theme of, of cord cutting. People going away from the cable television and doing individual subscriptions direct with the content providers and you sort of look at it now and you think there are so many of these streaming services now it's not just amazon and and netflix you've got hulu you've got disney bringing one out Mm. time warner bringing one out oh you've got the and you've got the terrestrial channels who have their own players espn a lot lot of content on there and you had all this up and thinking i'd be better off going back to the cable tv because they're, they're, they're costing such a lot of money and i just think are people really going to, you know, I'm sure Apple's going to probably price this at $10 a month, probably. Um, and and they, they're investing what looks, on the face of it, like quite a substantial amount of money. Yeah, in it's about, a billion, but, but your your view is that that's quite small. Really. Yeah, I mean, Netflix is spending about $6 billion. Every year? Yeah. On content? Yeah, on its own content. Yeah. Not just, that's, that's before it buys in the other content. And it just seems a bit thin. I just think, you know, it's trying to say, oh, we're going to do something different and it's going to be high quality and that kind of thing. I, I'm just not convinced that this is this is going to fly. And it's, you know, it's late to the game. And um, I, I'm, I, I left, left watching that pretty underwhelmed, actually. Mm. And I, I still think that both these things, from a money-making point of view, from, you know, the card and the streaming, I don't think it solves Apple's problem at all here. I think what, it, what is Apple's problem? It's too reliant on the iPhone. Right. It doesn't doesn't solve its problem. What about the, there's talk of a car, isn't there? Miles away from that, aren't we? Who makes money in cars? Quite. Elon Musk doesn't. Well, that's another that's another industry ripe for disruption, but from a very low margin base, I, I mean, guess. So yeah, it's it's a problem. You know, they they've got. A very successful business. I think. I think they are. I don't think they're going to lose customers, as we say. But whether, you know, whether they can keep growing profits, I think. You know, trying to prop the share price up by buying back lots of shares could only work for so long. Yeah, it's so a quality, as 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 measured by margin. It's kind of everything you said to me suggests that this is something we should be really very very cautious of. Indeed, is there another approach? There's another company you mentioned which kind of does the exact opposite. 
of this. An American company. An American company yeah. again. Yeah, Costco. And I, I, I mean, I wrote about Amazon, Amazon a few weeks ago, and I think Amazon's, I think Amazon's actually learnt a lot of lessons from Costco, um, and copied copied a lot of things. And it's just what does what does Costco do? Costco is a wholesale retailer. So what it what it does is that it, it ha- charges a membership fee. So you can't just drive up off the street and go into Costco like you could go into Walmart. So you have to become a member of a dis- of the discount club. What is it? This is in the UK. You have cash and carries. It's, 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 it's a cash and carry. Costco, and Costco but, yeah. but Booker is Booker is yeah, the same. You have macros and macros, which I think Booker owns actually. Yeah. yeah. And so you pay a membership fee. It's about sixty dollars a year, and. Costco, it sells a pretty narrow range of only about just under four thousand different products. Who are its customers? Shops or or the general public? Yeah, yeah, yeah shops, right. shops. But you know, you get businesses. You, you know, you get you get a lot of um, people running their own sort of catering businesses. Yeah, or use yeah. wholesalers and shops, and you get individual memberships as well. And you go in, and it offers fantastic value. Uh, on a very narrow, focused buying, bit like Aldi and Lidl, actually. The secret of Aldi and Lidl is, you know, you concentrate your buying into a small number of of items, not tens of thousands, but a few, you know, low thousands rather than fifty thousand. Concentrate your buying power, drive the prices down. You become a source of growth for your supplier, and everybody's happy. And this has been a tremendously successful business. Um, by offering outstanding value for money, keeping the cost lean, keeping it very much no frills. You know, it only owns 3% profit margin, but it's making 20% return on investment, which a lot of companies would absolutely kill for. It's, so it's a, it's a sheer volume game. Yeah, but, but, you know, my, my question is, can you take this model and apply it to certain businesses which are high margin, high volume? Can someone say, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut the cut the prices of the high the high price high margin high volume. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a modest margin or low margin, still sell lots of stuff, and instead of making forty percent return, I'll make fifteen. And you know, I've mentioned businesses in there like software companies. Uh, we've talked about you know, Right Move, Hargreaves, Lansdowne, Dignity, and. It, you know, it's just it's 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 a it's an article that's about getting investors just to think about where the margin comes from. It's absolutely fascinating because it's it's counterintuitive. Yeah. So and it comes it comes down to what what's the moat? What's the what's the high margin company got that stops someone coming along and doing this? Do you know, do you know there's a company in the UK that I mean you haven't read about it here, but I look at and I, I everyone hates it. And and I look at it, I think he's got he's got an he's got an idea here, Sports Direct International. It sort of has that feel about it. It's driving down the cost, but but having such a huge, huge you know, presence in the market that, it's kind that of it makes lost, a lot of money. It's kinda of lost its way though, hasn't you it? You think so? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like it has because he's buying lots of things. But but it seems that there's an end game there, which is just to sell lots of stuff yeah. in lots of areas incredibly cheaply. Yeah, that's that's the business model. I think it's a good model. I, I think Sports Direct is going to be a, a confound expectation, yeah. I have to say. I think so. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Enough we don't. I don't indeed. Know. I've, but, well, I've looked at it for years. But, I, but this is what I, what I think. You know, as I've said before, businesses like Dignity, 
you would have said some people would have said they were bulletproof four or five years ago. Um, and some of these businesses may may well have enough. They may be so deeply entrenched with their customers that people won't switch. But I think people would always switch, I, switch you know, for for an economic uh, imperative. Exactly, and I think I I just think that we are. I think we've always been a value value conscious world. I think we're getting a much more value conscious world. And it's becoming an economically more difficult world. Yeah, consumers and businesses actually. Mm. And and I and I I think this is a I, I think what the likes of Amazon and Costco have opened the eyes to is that you know you can get you can get disruptors, industry disruptors that come along. We might not know about them yet, but what I'm what I'm trying to get across is that these things can happen. And um it's basically saying if you own these businesses with high profit margins, go and have another look at them, kick the tires, and make sure that these these businesses are as resilient as you probably thought they were. I, I mean, it's something I kind of allude to in my editorial. Things change. Things always change. Yeah. And you know, if you if you break, you know, if you stick with your thinking about how a business was at a certain point and never change your view of that business, yeah. then you're going to run into trouble. There's a, just just sort of cross-referencing to, to Algie's article, there's a great quote from Steve Clapham in there about saying he looks at the margins of companies relative to their peers. And he looks, you know, if he, if he thinks that the margins look too high relative to the peers, and he, and he references Patisserie Valerie in this, um, I, I do remember that point. Yeah, it was great. It was a great example. It's actually. a great. You really know, you think, example. hold on a minute. Why? Why is this? You know, so so profitable. I mean, that's a sort of different tact in terms of spotting fraud. But it's a great question to ask. You know, why? You know, why will these margins stay so high? I don't want to get on too much of a downer about it. I just think I, I don't know, but I think it's really important to 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 not be complacent. Absolutely, I think I think you know the message you're trying to get across for you know for people who are you know running their portfolios and investing in individual shares is you've got to know these businesses as well as you can. Yeah, absolutely, and keep watching them because yeah. they change. Yeah, and the competitors change, and the, the landscape changes. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Phil. Okay. Uh, lots more in the uh, Alpha update this week, which uh, we haven't had a chance to discuss. House builders, they're a nice high margin business at the moment. But uh, we won't. We don't need to go into it now. We've talked about house builders quite enough. I think people are bored of it now. I, I'm bored of house builders. <laughs> yeah, lots, lots more in there. Lots more in the magazine. We've, we've touched upon the cover feature and and the secondary feature, which are, are, are related. Um, spotting red flags and and also understanding how industries change and, and companies may may think about changing with them. Uh, we talked about the sector focus, which is about payments relating to the Apple story. Lots and lots of results this week. Although yeah. results season is, thank goodness winding down a bit now all the usual stuff in the personal finance and funds section which they will talk about on their podcast including a very long uh, investment trust column from leonora about how to, how to buy investment trusts through platforms at a flat fee rather than open any funds um and uh, yeah lots of news all the usual news what we've got in the news in sat i think is uh, is on the way out we alluded to that last week airlines once again having brexit related troubles a shock profit warning uh from renishaw Although, given what we're seeing in the global economy, perhaps not not that much of a surprise. And Sports Direct, as I mentioned earlier, making uh, its advance on Debenhams. Trying to save its own money. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening. 
pick up the magazine, All Good News Agents, spotting red flags, how to identify the signs that could derail your investments. And uh, we will be back next week. See you later. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.